Well, we're continuing our series on what about, and tonight it's what about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a topic found throughout the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation with its ultimate establishment in the rule and reign of Jesus on the earth for 1,000 years. The Jews saw the kingdom of God in two ages, the present age, fallen and corrupt, and the age to come when the Messiah would set up the kingdom on earth, fulfilling all the promises to Israel. The interpretation that are set out regarding the kingdoms are many, and um, regarding the nature and the purpose of the kingdom, um, and when you get and you read many of these different opinions and interpretations, sometimes you can end up more confused than you were at the beginning. Some interpret the kingdom of God simply with the eternal state of heaven with no relationship to the earth. Others think the kingdom of God is simply spiritual, as God rules over the hearts of men in the present age and unrelated to the earth. And still others think the kingdom of God is to be a political, social activity now. To gain territory and, of course, back from Satan. And to elect Christians in order to bring in the kingdom. It's called kingdom theology. There's no such thing taught in the scriptures, and yet it happens all the time. It's taught all over in the church today. Some have attempted to use the kingdom of God for quote-unquote social justice, and you hear that in the last 10 years, 9 years, especially through the Obama reign. Um, Social justice. Uh, to overthrow governments or political institutions. It's called liberation theology. That's what Reverend Wrong was teaching, President Obama's pastor. Liberation theology. The Sandinistas down in San Salvador use liberation theology to overthrow government. It's not the first or the last time. The scriptures give the answer to the question, what about the kingdom? The scriptures have the answers if we study the scriptures. Let me give you three hooks to hang it on. We're going to look at it from three vantage points. First, the Old Testament perspective. Second, the New Testament perspective. And thirdly, the present age perspective. So we'll get a good view what the kingdom of God is. Let's begin with the Old Testament perspective. The kingdom is presented as eternal. That's important. Though it is presented as eternal, there is a temporal aspect at the same time. God is the eternal one, as you know, who rules at all times as supreme and absolute ruler in direct authority. From eternity to eternity. It has no end. Time came out of eternity, and time will move back into eternity, full circle. Within the eternal nature of the kingdom, we see the temporal kingdom of man uh, through God's sovereignty indirectly of appointed sovereigns, governors, presidents, dictators, whatever it may be, 
It doesn't mean that God makes them do the evil or that he approves of the evil, but God in this fallen world appoints order. Bad government is better than no government. Always remember that. Okay? That was the vacuum in Iraq and Afghanistan. We removed um, some evil guys. There was a vacuum. Big problem. Some countries, the only way they can be ruled is by dictatorship. Because they're so evil. People only understand one of two things. Pain in their wallet and literal pain. That's what they respond to. History shows that. Very, very important. The kingdom of God in the Bible refers to the authority and power in view of the existence, character, and position of a king. The word kingdom in kingdoms, plural, appears 211 times in the Old Testament, um, though not always referring to God's kingdom. The kingdom of God is timeless in nature, as you know. Um, Psalm 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth or over you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Jeremiah 10.10 says, But the Lord Yahweh is the true God. He is the living God and everlasting King. At His wrath, the earth will tremble and the nations will not be able to endure His indignation. The kingdom of God is also universal. Psalm 95.3 says, For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods, small g, that are no gods. The Lord is high above all nations, his glory above the heavens, Psalm 113.4. So it's everywhere. The heavens declare his glory, right? Also, the kingdom of God is worked out through men on the earth. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord Yahweh, Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. The problem is that if we just take one scripture, we think that God is the one that's controlling and forcing people to do what they want. That's only half the truth. You have free will on the other end. Now, free will and God's direct control confuses us. Because we're not God, we can't understand it to its full end. But God's direction and God's control never violates man's free will. He's all-knowing, omniscient. He has foreknowledge. He knows something before it happens. And therefore, his plans, his direction can never be thwarted. You and I have a problem. We don't even know what's going to happen the next second. So for God, it's no big deal. But since it's a problem to us, then we start putting all kinds of, well, what about this? What about that? God says, what about me? I'm God. No problem no more. Isaiah 10.5 says, a serious call by God, the rod of his anger. He uses Syria to chasten his people. Cyrus is called by God, my shepherd and my anointed in Isaiah 44.28 and 45.1. Nebuchadnezzar is called by God, my servant, in Jeremiah 25, 9. Now, some 
were aware of God's direction in their life and even as Nebuchadnezzar received the vision of the empires of the world to come. And others were not. And they were fulfilling God's will. Now the kingdom of God involves the miraculous, God's direct intervention. In Genesis 7-4, God intervened and caused it to rain for 40 days and 40 nights, destroying the entire world population except for eight people. God dismisses the natural laws. He intervenes. He does as he wills. And what he does is just. Even the eight deserve judgment. They escaped it because they repented and believed God the judgment was coming. And he gave one door, one way, they got in it. Today, God gives one door, one way, Jesus Christ, to escape judgment. No different. God multiplies his signs and wonders, especially in the plagues of Egypt in Exodus 5 through 11. Revealing that the gods of the Egyptians were no gods at all. The kingdom is present as a theocracy or theocratic. Theocratic is defined as a government of state by the immediate direction of God, such as Yahweh reigned over Israel just like an earthly king would reign over its people. Israel was a theocracy, as you know, ruled by God through a divinely chosen man, Abraham, who spoke and acted on God's behalf, as well as Moses, the high priest, and others, and the king. The evidence of theocratic rule to manifest Yahweh's sovereign rule on the earth is clear from Genesis to Revelation. When you read it, it becomes a reality. And all of that will be delivered to the Father, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 24. When all things are put subject to the bottom, to the feet of Jesus Christ, at the foot of Jesus Christ, he'll hand the whole kingdoms over to the Father. And the Trinity will be put in a whole different uh, state then. Right now, each person has a part in redemption. But then, we won't need it. That's at the end of the thousand years. The theocratic kingdom started in the Garden of Eden. God delegated to Adam the authority to rule over the earth and the animal kingdom in submission to his will, as we read in Genesis 1.26. All the blessings of the kingdom were Adam's, but the ideal of eternal life was not realized by disobedience. The loss of it the corruption of it came through disobedience. Adam rebelling against the sovereign rule of God as his king resulted in the setting up of Satan's kingdom on the earth. Thereby, God announced the coming of his son as the last Adam, as the seed of the woman, reestablishing the authority of God to fulfill the program of the kingdom, Genesis 3.15. God gave the promise of the redemption through the Messiah, 
before he brought the judgment over Adam and Eve. You ever realize that? Verse 15 comes before verse 21. Amazing. The theocratic kingdom was carried on by the godly seed of Adam, Seth, Genesis 4, 25. You want to go back a little further, you have Cain, you have Abel. Those that walk with God, those who do not walk with God. Those who are subject to the rule of God, those who are rebellion to it. The next theocratic kingdom is under human government, and when we get to Genesis chapter 9, verse 1 through 7, the kingdom would be through human rulers beginning with Noah. Uh, at this point, fear in the animals was um, present, and capital punishment was established now. Things have changed. The kingdom of God was rejected and rebelled against by Nimrod, if you remember, under the kingdom of Babel, who took men away from God, a hunter, a mighty hunter before the Lord, Genesis 10, 9 through 10. Once the fall came, now you have, before you only had one will, God's will. And then when Adam blew it, now you've got as numbers of wills as there are people. The only common denominator the whole human race has is rebellion against God. But everybody rebels in their own different way, right? But it's still rebellion. Then we see the theocratic kingdom under the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham is chosen by God to establish his purpose upon the earth. Through him all would be blessed, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, specifically verse 3. And you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. It would be through the covenant that God made with Abraham. The patriarchs were the line of the promised Messiah. Isaac, the son of promise, through whom God would continue his kingdom, is very clearly indicated in Genesis 17:21. Galatians 4:28 makes the distinction, not Ishmael. Ishmael was sent away. And by the way, how do you get a Palestinian when Ishmael's mother was an Egyptian? He was sent to Arabia and marries an Arab there. How does that make a Palestinian? If you cross a German shepherd with a weenie dog, you don't get a cocker spaniel. Okay? Um, just, just, just something to think about, okay? Important. Jacob chose, was chosen by God, and remember that his name was changed to Israel as he wrestled with God. Israel, God prevails, being governed by God. Touched the hollow of his thigh. Whenever you, after that point, when he wrestles with God, um, when he's called Jacob, he, he's in the flesh. He's a, a con artist. Uh, when he's mentioned as Israel, he's submitting to God. The old man, the new man, just like us. The constant reminder of the Messiah appears throughout Scripture. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. 
And to him shall be the obedience of the people. Genesis 49.10. You go to Numbers 24.17-19. Deuteronomy 18.15. And we can go on and on. The Messiah is always mentioned in every book. Every time. Over and over again. It's progressive revelation. There was the theocratic kingdom under the judges. You remember next. The period was a time of spiritual degeneracy characterized by the phrase, in those days, every man was doing what was right in their own eyes. Kind of like what's going on today in our nation. It's an amoral society. It's a really God-hating society. If you say you're a believer, you're a Christian, people get hostile. Now, you can declare to be the most eloquent buffoon and they'll applaud you but you tell them you believe in God and the Bible and they will crucify you so things have changed in our nation what we have right now is just a little relief of mercy by God we're right on schedule (laughs) we're moving forward the Lord is coming The accepted rule of God brought about deliverance through the book of Judges. The rejection of God's authority brought bondage. This was their cycle. It would go back to bondage every time. The final rejection of the theocratic kingdom came when they elected to have a king like all the other nations. Remember in 1 Samuel 8. Samuel thinking he was being rejected was corrected by God telling him that they were not rejecting him, but they were rejecting God. 1 Samuel 8, 7. Sometimes people may uh, reject you or talk about you or call you names or whatever, diss you or whatever, because you're a Christian, because you don't want to party, you don't want to look at Cochino TV or whatever. And... um, They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting God. You're God's representative. I'm God's representative. I'm not that good. It's just by the grace of God that he's transformed my life. And I yield to him and I respond to the gospel. But he's the one that's allowing me to live the way I live. Not sinless, not perfect. But man, I can can hit the target now. There's a very... Very clear ability now by the grace of God. The monarchy form of government had already been prophesied by God, if you remember, for the king. Um, Genesis 17, um, verse 7, he says, In that day when you want a king like all the other nations, he was to be a Hebrew, not a stranger. He was to write a copy of the law so that he wouldn't exalt himself above the people. And uh, he was not to multiply wives or multiply horses. You multiply wives, big problems. You multiply horses, you trust them. Both are problems. And uh, Solomon blew it on both ends. He was Yahweh's substitute, his anointed to rule um, for God. 
And that's why the word of God was to be in his hands, in his heart, in his mind. So that he wouldn't exalt himself above the people or abuse his power or try to um, fleece the people. But he was to serve the people. Much like a shepherd, really. Saul was man's choice when he was rejected by Yahweh. The authority was transferred to David. He was God's choice. 1 Samuel 13 and, and also chapter 16. Very clear. God identifies his kingdom with David's kingdom. The throne and kingdom of David is called the Lord's in 1 Chronicles 28.5 and 2 Chronicles 9.8. When you saw one, you were to think of the other. The king was called the Lord's anointed, 1 Samuel 24, 6 and 19, 21. The prophets identified the kingdom of God with the Davidic throne and kingdom, God's theocratic rule, Jeremiah 33, 36, Amos 9. One was the extension of the other. And then came the theocratic kingdom under the prophets, they were divinely appointed to call the nation back to God because they had caught, got caught up in sin and idolatry and disobeying God. The authority of their message was a direct word of God by His Spirit through these prophets. Many of them, uh, Amos was a, a fruit picker, a sheep breeder. When they asked him to leave from the north, he said, Hey, what do you have? God called me. I'm a sheep breeder. I didn't call myself. The authority of their message was through God's word, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel revealed the departure of the Shekinah glory of God from the temple, indicating the start of the time of the Gentiles that God gave through the dream to Nebuchadnezzar. Israel would be set aside till the first coming of the Messiah. Time of the Gentiles goes from Babylon, the head of Gaul, all the way really till the ten nation confederacy of the Antichrist. The prophets are flooded with the future theocratic kingdom to come and established in its final form. Isaiah 2, Jeremiah 23, Ezekiel 20, Daniel 2, 7, and so on and so forth, many of them. Listen to the book of Daniel says, And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? Daniel 4, 34, 35. This is after Nebuchadnezzar was an animal for three seasons or so. And then he came back. All right? I, I expect to see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. He was a hard nut to crack, but he cracked. But God didn't force him to crack. <laughs> he just took him out to the woodshed and, and he learned. 
Yet the kingdom of God has been um, challenged by Satan now. Isaiah provides for us the five-eye wills of Lucifer against the authority of God to become a sovereign ruler with all power and authority. Ezekiel 14. I'm sorry, Isaiah 14, verse 2 through 17, and then Ezekiel 28, 11 through 19. There you have the fall of Satan as well as the five-eye wills of Satan against God and his rebellion. Through the fall of Adam and the deception of Eve, the kingdom of Satan is now in opposition to the kingdom of God as the kingdom of darkness, Ephesians 6.11 tells us. There was a time when um, our country, uh, our universities, our politicians, uh, our teachers, uh, everybody recognized good and evil. In fact, when you watch TV in the 60s or 70s, there was the white hat, the black hat, and the cowboys, right? You, you, you had no mistake identifying who the good guy was, right? And as you move along from the 60s on, everything starts being blended and all the movies start being open-ended. It's subjective. You, you put the end on the movie the way you want it to finish. Become subjective. And all of a sudden, there's, it's very hard to discern and to really depict what is evil and what is good. And they're blended. And today we have such a case in our society. The buzzword is I'm spiritual. Now, is it good or is it bad spirit? But everybody embraces whatever it is for power, for manipulation. So you have a lot of demon activity that goes on today. And yet it's, it's a deception of being drawn to obtain power and goals of one's own thing. The New Age movement. The emergent movement through contemplative prayers, opening your mind to spirit beings, even within the church. Yoga. It's brought right in the church. Christians do many of these things. Amazing. He's called the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air, in 2 Corinthians 4 4 and Ephesians 2 2. Satan is a, a, a created cherub. Who then will be in the lake of fire? Matthew twenty five forty one. Uh, Gehenna was made for no one but Satan and his angels. Very very clear. The kingdom of God will be established, as you know. Isaiah prophesies about it uh, very clearly um, in in chapter two, one, uh, verse one down to four. Um, uh, everyone will come to Jerusalem, the house of the Lord, and He will teach them and. Um, the nations shall not lift up their sword against nation, neither shall they um, learn war anymore. And so, um, you know, the UN has the, um, the scripture about, you know, turning your, your, your war instruments to plows and, and, and pruning hooks so you can, but that's the millennial kingdom, that's not now. But they plaster up, they're the UN, the United Nothings, they, they you know. We saw a couple of them up there in the northern at, at the Mount Hermon on the top, and we went right into the trenches where they fought years ago, and we walked through there. And there they just sit there with their glasses looking over Syria. Do nothing. Fighting starts. They put their glasses back in. They walk away. United nothings. 
The king will be Emmanuel, God with us, Isaiah 7, 14, Matthew 1, 23. Matthew identifies Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us. The kingdom will be in Jerusalem, and it will have worldwide control. Psalm 2, verse 8, Isaiah 11, 9. The kingdom will be established by the returning king, Jesus Christ. Psalm 50, verse 3 through 5. Zechariah 2. 10 through 13, and many, many others. The kingdom will be spiritual with the king's absolute rule, yet in a material world, Isaiah 11, 2 through 5 tells us. So this is the kingdom of God from the Old Testament perspective. Now, the New Testament perspective, the Old Testament is progressive, 400 years of silence, then the New Testament is the fulfillment of everything that was given in portions. It's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is presented as the Old Testament of theocracy at the first advent of Jesus. Jesus Christ offered the theocracy as he announced the kingdom of God, and the Jews were awaiting the kingdom, as you know. Jesus used the term knowing the Jews would understand it. The word for kingdom is Basileel, referring to a royal power. Basilicas were royal buildings of the government. And then when Constantine took them over, he made them basilicas to be the religious centers. And he married the church to the world. You also get the word, the root there for king. This word appears, kingdom, 162 times in the New Testament. Matthew uses the word more than any other writer, 54 times. This should be no surprise since Matthew portrays Jesus as the king of the Jews in his gospel. The king of the Jews. The Jews understood the term, the kingdom of God, and were anticipating the kingdom, the Jews were anticipating a literal restoration of the Davidic throne in the kingdom by a reigning Messiah. The disciples and apostles understood this. That is why James and John asked for the left hand and the right hand, as we've mentioned uh, when we come across the scripture. Matthew, in Mark 10, 35 through 45, they even brought their mommy. Uh, Matthew takes one part and then Mark gets the other one. And uh, Luke says, now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately, Luke 19, 11. So once again, present age, corrupt. Age to come, we're going to rule. They never saw the church age. That's why James and John asked Jesus for the right hand and the left hand. And the ten got mad at the two because the two beat the ten to it. But they had the same thing in mind. Remember, they're always asking and talking about who's the greatest in the kingdom, right? After the resurrection of Jesus, he spoke for 40 days to his apostles about the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, as you know. At which time they asked him in Acts 1, 3, and 6, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? 
They still don't get it. They asked him before his death. They asked him after his resurrection. Now, due to the rejection of Jesus as Israel's Messiah, the kingdom of God was present, but yet to come in its ultimate fulfillment. So you look at it as an eclipse. The kingdom of God came when Jesus came in a hit. And ever since that time, it's been moving forward. So the kingdom is present, but yet to come. And it will be a full eclipse when it's totally fulfilled. All right? That's a good way to look at the kingdom. The kingdom of God appears 81 times in the New Testament. Five times in Matthew, because the key phrase for Matthew is the kingdom of heaven. We'll make a distinction between that. The kingdom of God is not synonymous with the kingdom of heaven. Though some people say it is. There's a little distinction. The kingdom of God is a broader term encompassing all creation of God, including the angels, and the ultimate kingdom uh, for eternity. The kingdom of heaven indicates God's rule over the earth, referring to the prophecies of the Old Testament concerning the first coming of the king uh, from heaven and the second coming to establish the kingdom. So the kingdom of heaven is from the first coming to the second coming to establish the kingdom. The kingdom of God is much broader. So the kingdom of heaven is within the kingdom of God. You might see it that way. Okay? You got a big bowl, you put the next small bowl in it. Okay? The phrase kingdom of heaven appears 32 times in the New Testament, and it's only found in Matthew. It's found in no other New Testament book. Only Matthew says the kingdom of heaven. Because he's talking to the Jew. Okay? Because the Jew was sent to the, the Jesus was sent to the Jew, the first coming, and he will be sent to them at the second coming, and he will set up the kingdom for the Jew in the millennial kingdom of heaven. The church is not the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, but it is part of both. The church will not bring in the kingdom, but will return with Jesus who will set up the kingdom. Now that's interesting because you have so much preaching and teaching today on Christian radio and television and pulpits that we are going to establish the kingdom and we need to be kingdom's kids and this and that and, 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 and they declare themselves to be the Israel of God. Really? Wow. But the church's Israel is as bad as Herbert W. Armstrong saying that there were ten lost tribes. It's completely unbiblical. We are not Israel. We are the virgin bride looking for a wedding. Israel is the wife that's been put away by divorce because of her adulterous relationship to God. She will be reconciled after the tribulation. The recognition of Jesus Messiah at his first advent is unmistakable. The angel Gabriel told Mary that the child conceived in her was called the son of the highest. He would reign over the house of David forever and to be called Jesus. Yahweh is salvation. Luke one thirty one through 33. The mother of John the Baptist acknowledged the Messiah in her womb when Mary 
entered, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and John leaped in her womb. In Luke 1, 41 and 45, through 45. She says, what is the mother of my Lord doing coming? <laughs> Mary, in what is called the Magnificat, gives thanks to God for choosing her and sending her God and Savior as promised. Luke 1, 46 through 55. Mary acknowledged her need of the Savior her own son that she would give birth to. She called upon him. She was not sinless. She was not a perpetual virgin. She is not a co-redemptress. She acknowledged her sinfulness just like you have to and I have to. She is blessed among women, not above women. There's a big difference. Simon attested seeing with his own eyes the Messiah calling the consolation of Israel as Jesus dedicated in Luke 2.25. The wise men declared Jesus was the king of the Jews. The Herod, he didn't like that. Matthew 2.2. 2. The genealogy of Jesus is traced through David through both Joseph and Mary. Matthew chapter 1. Luke chapter 3. One's an ascension, the other was a dissension. One goes through Solomon, the other one goes through Nathan. Because Jeconiah was a curse from the line. Jesus confirmed his first coming by the twofold fulfillment of Elijah in Matthew 17, 12. John the Baptist came in the power of spirit of Elijah for the first coming. Elijah will literally come for the second coming. He will be in the tribulation. He will bring down fire from heaven. He will, he will just give the Antichrist a migraine. The announcement of the first advent of Jesus was theocratic in the kingdom of God. Completely. It was God's offer to man to have God rule over their lives through repentance. John the Baptist proclaimed, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 3, 2. After John was put in prison, Jesus began to preach, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew four seventeen. Jesus said the following about the kingdom. Listen carefully. The kingdom of God has come near you. Luke 10, 9. The kingdom of God is within you. Luke 17, 21. The confirmation of Jesus to John that he was Messiah when he sent some disciples from prison. He pointed to the miracles, but that was no big deal because other prophets had done miracles. But he said, the, king, the gospel of the kingdom is preached to all. That was the indication, the arrival of the kingdom, Matthew eleven three through 6. Amazing. The theocratic message of the kingdom of God was limited to Israel first though. As we read the scriptures, Jesus commanded his disciples, do not go to the way of the Gentiles and do not enter the city of Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, what would make you believe that the gospel has to be preached some other way today because it's a little different today. People are more visual and, and no, no, people are just more corrupt. 
the emergent church tweaks the gospel, lowers it down to be human reasoning, human logic. Listen, you don't have to tell somebody how fierce a lion is. Just open the door and let him out. You preach the gospel directly as the gospel says. You don't change the vocabulary. You don't soften it. You preach it with all compassion and love, but you do not water down the gospel. If you do, it will not save anybody. Very important. Jesus told the Syrophoenician woman, I was not sent except for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Matthew 15, 24. So the priority was Israel at first. The offer to Israel regarding the kingdom was real and genuine as well as their rejection of Jesus and the kingdom. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Remember in Luke 19, 41, 42. If you would have known this your day, the things that were prepared for you. We, we did the study there right on the Mount of Olives. Some of you were there. Right there, the kids run right there, the city right there. Jesus weeping. We, we went down the, the, the road where Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Amazing. Jesus again said, see, your house is left to you desolate. I say to you, you shall not see me henceforth. You say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Second coming. Matthew 23, 38 through 39. Amazing. The scriptures, are, I mean, where are you going to go? You're going to... Look up the Funkin' Wagnall or Webster Dictionary. No, the Bible gives you the answers. Nowhere else. People are bringing their theology from experience, from emotions, from commentaries, from, from devotional books, instead of the Bible. That's the problem. Now you can better understand why the apostles thought Jesus was going to set up the kingdom. That's why they asked him still after the, the resurrection. Uh, will you now at this time? Acts 1 6. He says, just tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Acts 1 8. Boy, did they become different men and women. <laughs> wow. The kingdom of God was presented. And a twofold fulfillment. The first advent of the Messiah was a short term fulfillment, as we know. The seed of the woman, uh, Genesis 3.15, the fulfilled promise of God. The Messiah would come at a time um, when the authority of Judah had been removed, Genesis 49.10, the scepter. Um, Israel was subject to Rome, and they couldn't put Jesus to death. They had to bring him to Pilate. It had been removed from them. The Messiah would be the ultimate prophet that... God would hold him responsible for his words in Deuteronomy 8, 15, 18, or 18, 15. And the Messiah would first come as the Redeemer and Savior, as he quoted Isaiah 61, 1, when he went into the synagogue of Nazareth in Luke 4. And the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, we're told, in Micah 5, 2. The Messiah would have a forerunner, his cousin, John the Baptist, who would come in the power and the spirit of Elijah, Luke 1.17. Then you have the second coming that would be the long-term fulfillment. We're waiting for that. 
Now, we won't be here for the second coming. We will come back for the second coming with Jesus. The establishment of the throne of David would be forever. But not by Solomon. But at the second coming by the Messiah. Second Samuel chapter 7, 1 through 17. The psalm gives us the preview. Psalm 2. Why do the heathen rage? Why do they imagine a vain thing? I will have them in derision. He will destroy them. The battle of Armageddon. Revelation 19. The prophet Isaiah joins the first and the second coming of the Messiah without distinguishing them altogether. Isaiah 61 verse 2 through 3. Once again in the synagogue of Nazareth. Jesus rolled up the scroll and handed it back. This day and you're hearing these scriptures are fulfilled. But the rest is the second coming. He stopped. The Messiah will return to the Jews. And they will ask him. Where did you receive these wounds in your, in your hands? He'll say in the house of my friends. Zechariah 13.6. Wow. The Messiah will have Elijah as the forerunner of the second coming. Malachi 4, 5 through 6. Paul told the Romans the following, Romans eleven twenty five to 27. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part, blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentile comes in, the last number of persons to be saved in the church. And we're raptured, then God will begin to deal with Israel. Ezekiel 37, 38, 39, Russia will attack. And he says, And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. Does it say the church? You can't alter it. The deliverer will come out of Zion. That's Jerusalem there. I'm Moriah. And he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins, Romans eleven twenty five to 27. How can you teach that God is through with Israel? He's going to remove their sins. What do you do with that? Jesus was a Messiah proclaiming the kingdom of God. He told Nicodemus, you must be born again. You'll never enter the kingdom of God, John 3, 3. You're the teacher of all rabbis and you don't know this? Wow. Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violence takes it by force. Matthew 11, 11 through 12. And so there is, there is a warfare going on. Satan doesn't want people to believe. He blinds them, deceives them, holds them captive. Jesus told the Pharisees, but if I cast out demons by the prince of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you, Matthew 12, 28. God in his omniscience and foreknowledge knows all along. And he knew all along that Israel would reject his Messiah on the first coming. God wasn't shocked. God didn't say, ah, I can't believe it. He knew it. Therefore, the prophecies of the Old Testament contain 
both advents. The rejection of Jesus by the Jews was not predetermined by God, but by their own free will. To ask and say, what if Israel would have received Jesus and the kingdom would have been set up? How would the forgiveness of sins have been possible without the cross? This is to not acknowledge God's omniscience and foreknowledge. God foresaw that so that would never happen. He knows what your decision was going to be. He knows what my decision was going to be. He knows everything about me. No one can throw a monkey wrench into God's machinery. Yet God never forces anybody to believe or to obey. He enables you, but he doesn't force you. The prophecy did not make the Jews reject their Messiah. The prophecies only declared beforehand that they would reject their Messiah. That is why Jesus says, therefore I say to you, he's talking about Israel, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation uh, bearing the fruits of it. Matthew 21, 43. It would be given to the Gentiles. So this is the kingdom of God from the New Testament perspective. Lastly, we have the the present age perspective. Having both now, New and Old Testament, the kingdom of God is in its theocratic form is available to all who will believe the revelation of God about his son to be saved. It's just that simple. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of God unto salvation, Paul says in Romans 1.16. The Jews came first in priority of time because the scriptures were given to them, the Messiah was promised to them, the Messiah was Jewish. Jesus was not Mexican. He's not Polish. He wasn't from Boston. He's Jewish. Okay? Not Palestinian. As some people are teaching. Okay? He was Jewish. The individual Jews can be saved. But not the nation today. That will be through the tribulation, the remnant. For there is no distinction between Jew, Greek, Jesus is Lord over all. Rich and poor makes no difference. Romans 10, 12. All come by the same thing. Grace and faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. All are children of God by faith. Abraham. Genesis uh, 3, 7. All are new creatures. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Who repent and accept Jesus. All are given a new divine nature to escape the corruption of the world. Uh, in 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4. When there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ all in all, Colossians 3.11. No one can boast. None. The entrance into the kingdom of God, then, is through the new birth, revealed to Nicodemus, as we pointed out in John 3.3-5. The prayers of the Christians are to be in perspective of the kingdom of God. Your kingdom come. Matthew 6.10. The pursuit of the Christian is to be the kingdom of God, not their denomination, not their pastor. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Matthew 6.33. You see, the kingdom of God in its theocratic form is being proclaimed through the church. 
He answered the church, daily such as should be saved, Acts 2.4. I will build my church, Jesus said, Matthew 16.18. He puts all things under his feet. He made him head over all things the church, Ephesians 1.22. Paul says, but if I am delayed, I write that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. 1 Timothy 3.15. The church, those called out of darkness into light. To the general assembly in the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. Hebrews 12.23 says, the church. Listen to Peter. Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visit of the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this... The words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, Israel, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up, millennial kingdom, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Wow. First church council, Acts 15, 13 through 17. How can you say God is through with Israel? What do you do with those passages? Old and New Testament. Jesus is sanctifying and cleansing his bride by the washing of the water by the word to present himself a glorious church without spot, without wrinkle. Ephesians 5, 26-27. Amazing. The kingdom of God will be instituted at the second coming. Proclaim through the great tribulation, Revelation 6-19, Many will die under the hand of the Antichrist. Two of three Jews will die. That's horrific. That's much worse than Hitler. The preaching will go through two, the two witnesses, Revelation 11. The 144,000, Revelation 17. The, the Jews. Revelation 14, 1, 3 through 4 says, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing in Mount Zion... And with him, 144,000, having their father's name written in their forehead. That's the 144,000 Jews prepared to preach the gospel. It's going to be through the angel, too. A lot of people say, well, you know, Jesus can't come back until we preach the gospel to the whole world. Listen carefully. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs and waters. Revelation 14, 6 through 7. We have failed as the church to take the gospel to the whole world. More people know about Pepsi-Cola and Coca-Cola tonight than the world about Jesus Christ. God will send the everlasting gospel through the angels at the end of the tribulation. The whole world will hear then. But no one will perish in any generation without having that opportunity to hear the gospel. How has that happened? I can't tell you, but God has to be there. Because if someone dies without an opportunity, then how can God judge them? So it's a problem for you, problem for me, not a problem for God. Don't worry about it. You're not God. The question is, have you heard? Have you repented? Don't give me this. How about the pygmy? By the way, when they heard, they repented. 
We always change it to somebody else. Jesus will appear to establish the kingdom on earth. Revelation 19 and 20. All Israel will be saved. He will destroy the armies that are there to stop him from setting up the kingdom. He will judge the nations in Matthew 25. Sheep from the goat. Satan will be bound for a thousand years. Paul exhorted the Romans the following. Do this, knowing that time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Romans 13, 11. I was saved in 1973. That's 45 years ago. This July. That's a long time. But it's gone so fast. I didn't always look this bad. It's gone by fast. The Christian has told many things regarding the kingdom of God. The believer has been brought into the kingdom of God's dear son. Colossians 1.13 The believer is warned that those practicing certain sins will not inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Galatians 5.21 and many, many others. The believer is to know that the Lord will deliver him on every evil work. Preserve him. 2 Timothy 4.18 He's coming quickly. Revelation 22.12 says Make sure that no one takes your reward away according to your work. The kingdom parables reveal church age in the absence of the king. Remember, we went through Matthew 13. The sowers, the method of the kingdom, the tares are the counterfeits of the kingdom. The mustard seed is the corruption within the kingdom. The leaven in the meal is the false teaching in the midst of the kingdom. The hidden treasure is no cost is too great to enter the kingdom. The pearl of great price, nothing can be compared to the kingdom. The dragnet, only those who come in faith enter the kingdom. Jesus says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things kept secret from the foundations of the world. Matthew thirteen fifty five. the kingdom parables. He spoke there things that were kept secret from the beginning. Do you not understand this parable, Jesus said? How then will you understand all parables? Mark 4, 13. The parable of the sower is key to understand all parables, ladies and gentlemen. Very important. And so, the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of God from the present perspective. The gospel is being preached. People have a choice to believe it and repent or to reject it and be lost. It is a personal choice. God doesn't force us. You and I have all the right to go to hell, but we really don't have to go there. It is a choice. And so this is what the scriptures teach about the kingdom of God from the three vantage points. The Old Testament perspective, the New Testament perspective, and the present age perspective. And so the kingdom is present and yet to come. The church is part of the kingdom, but it's not the kingdom. The church will not establish the kingdom. Jesus establishes the kingdom. And so we pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Father, thank you for your grace and love and goodness. We love you. We thank you. We pray, Lord, you would just deal with our hearts and those over the radio and also the internet, Lord, and you would just speak to their hearts if they don't know you. 
If there's anybody here who doesn't know Jesus Christ, then we pray that you would repent of your sins, that you would call on the Lord, realizing that he alone died for you and he paid that price. And we come by grace through faith, knowing that there is nothing we can offer, nothing we can work for, and nothing we can do for our salvation except as the Holy Spirit illuminates us and brings conviction that we respond in agreement. Yes, I am lost in need of a Savior. Forgive me, Lord. Change my heart. Forgive me of my sins. That's how simple the prayer is. And if you do that, He will save you right now. If this is your prayer, then He's going to save you right where you're at. Father, forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.